Welcome to Inside Parliament. It's a weekly catch-up of what we've been covering this week. It's really nice to be here with you guys. I'm Jessica Much and this is Katie Bradford. Welcome, Jess. Thank you very much. It's nice to be here. First week. First week is Jess Much as our political editor. We're very relieved to have her here. (laughs) Just for pure numbers, I think, actually. But it's been really good. It's been really interesting and a really interesting start to my term here, I guess, if you call it. We've had some good stories and some really interesting stuff this week. Should we start off talking about Russia? Because that's kind of been the one that's been dominating, particularly the second half of this week. And it's been a big big issue and probably like to, likely to go on for some time. Uh, here's my track from Wednesday night. Behind these walls sit Russian diplomats, but the Prime Minister insists they aren't spies. Just because we haven't identified individuals of that nature here does not mean that we are not the subject of intelligence gathering. But she says there's no one in New Zealand who reaches the level of those kicked out by other countries following Britain's poisoning scandal. Someone who is described as an intelligence officer could for instance be an attaché for the Minister of Defence, that does not mean they're a spy. Undeclared, it won't surprise you that people who are acting as spies do not declare themselves as such. All our Five Eyes partners, USA, Canada, Britain and Australia, have expelled Russian diplomats, leaving New Zealand standing alone. And that's created headlines around the world. Even Albania has now taken action. I think the government needs to work out what its policy is on Russia and take this seriously. It's a Russian fiasco. Foreign affairs experts say there are people here that could be sent home. Every single one of the individuals who have been expelled hold diplomatic passports. Not a single one of them is a spy in the cloak or dagger sense. If you want to find someone to expel, you can do it on political grounds. You do not have to explain it. But the government says it's acting on official advice from the SIS. The people in the Five Eyes have consulted with us on our decision, understand our decision, uh, did so before the decision was made. We read in the newspapers now that we're the laughing stock around the world. Every other country that we would align ourselves with is taking this issue seriously. But as scenes like this continue around the world, the Russia question remains a burden for the government. So it does seem to be that people have reacted almost with disbelief at the government's stance. What do you think? Why do you think they're playing it this way? I think it's just because big picture, it's so interesting that we've taken this stance. I have to say, even though, of course, we're an independent sovereign nation, we do tend to follow along with our mates and what they do. This time, we haven't. And it kind of raises questions. I think often in diplomacy, it's symbolic. And we we make gestures and we do things to say, uh, you know, I'm I'm your mate, so I'm going to stick up for you. And in front of everyone, I'm going to say, yeah, I'm friends, and that's how we're going to do it. But it seems unusual that we would take this step. Yeah, and not and as as many political commentators and experts have said, look, you could just choose someone an attaché, a low level attaché at the embassy, and say, okay, look, mate, you're gone. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> your luck, your luck's run out. You're the one. We pulled your number out of the ballot. You're, and you're the, the one that's gone. Yeah, yeah. but and, I mean, it was interesting that that after sort of a day of pressure, the prime minister did come out yesterday afternoon and say, look, we are going to look at possible visa restrictions mm-hmm. or travel ban of some sort. You would think, and we're waiting now this afternoon, but you've got to think that surely they will do something like that because they do need to be seen to be siding with 
our side in theory. You know, what, why are we trying to cut? And this is a question if you're, if you're a bit of a conspiracy theorist. Why are we trying to favor with, side with Russia? Why are we worried about annoying is it Russia? That FTA is off the table. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, you know how, how many years ago? In 2012, I think um, APEC was in Vladivostok and, and I was there with John Key and he was talking about, um, you know, they were pushing that FTA then and they, that it was imminent. And we were all thinking that within the next year we were all going to go to Moscow and this was going to be signed. It's not going to happen anytime soon, and I think even apart from maybe Winston Peters, everyone thinks that that that's not happening. So why what are we worried about? Why are we? Yeah, why are and, we holding back? And is it a case of simply we are getting the full story, and we just don't have anyone there, and the prime minister doesn't think it's fair to have a scapegoat? Yeah. Or is there much more to this? But it just has all the elements of a great story. Spy. There's <laughs> Russia and spies and conspiracies and diplomacy, and you've got to say it's fun doing those and, kinds of and stories. And one of my favourite things about it is, of course, is, is this whole idea of an undisclosed spy. Isn't that what a spy is? Yeah. They I don't put their hand up and like go through customs and be like, uh, you know, we all put like political journalists on you or whatever you want to say you are when you go, depending what country you're going into. And, uh, and, and spy. Yeah. My job is to spy on you. Please let me in. Yeah. I feel like <laughs> do you have anything in your bags spy. you want to, do you have anything in your bags you want to declare? Uh, there's a couple of like spy tools. You should what test that out next time. Yeah, the see what actually, when you're off to Europe, just put it in and see how it goes. <laughs> see if anyone an notices. I'm an, un, I'm an undeclared spy. And the Prime Minister said, you know, they don't. these people don't put their hands up and tell us that's what they are. But there is intelligence gathering going on. They've said that, you know, what, what's going on that. And is it is it perhaps um, Jacinda Ardern's lack of experience in foreign affairs? Winston Peters is obviously being foreign affairs. I don't think so, because it's not... Do you know what I mean? I feel like it's one of those things that you would be, of course, you'll be advised and supported on. But because it is one of her big, um, first big foreign decisions, I feel like she'd be doing everything by the book. Yes, Do you know what I mean? Would. Yeah, and that's what's strange. And I said to Todd McClay, because National, I'm um, treading a fine line here because, you know, foreign affairs is something that tends to be, you know, bipartisan and, 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 but they are very critical of what the government is doing here. And I said to Todd McClay, OK, so if you were still the minister, would you have sent someone home? And he said, well, I'd be looking at the information, but I'd expect to. So, you know. They don't get the briefings, though, of course. No, so they now don't know. But they should, so. they weren't, it wasn't that long ago they were in government, so they yeah. should know what was, you know, being said. I mean, this is all yeah. blown out. And it's going to keep going. We've seen developments today. I think every day we'll, yeah. you know, see stuff. And so yeah. it will be interesting. We'll see how it develops. Very interesting. Very interesting. And the other big issue, a bit more close to home, of course, is uh, the Radio New Zealand that you've been following all week. This sort yeah, of blew up very suddenly as these things do. Yeah, it's been a really interesting one to follow. Let's start off just having a look at uh, the track that I did this week. It's a breakfast meeting that's turned into a major headache. Carol Hirschfeld resigned because RNZ policies meant she wasn't allowed to meet with the minister and repeatedly told her bosses it was a chance encounter. And now the minister's facing political heat for initially saying it wasn't a formal meeting. I have since corrected that. I've apologised to the Prime Minister and I was wrong. The text messages arranging the meeting have been released. Hi Carol, Claire Curran here. Keen to catch up soon. Be in touch early next week. Hi Claire, lovely to hear from you. I'm in Wellington Wednesday and Thursday next week. Look forward to talking soon. Cheers. They went back and forwards for weeks to coordinate a time before settling on breakfast on December 5th. 
It's just like a basic little chat between two people about organising a meeting. They must have known uh, that this is a meeting they shouldn't really have been ha having, that was going uh, past the hierarchy of Radio New Zealand, that was against the sort of protocols between the government and RNZ. Uh, NZ. So something more was going on here. This afternoon Jacinda Ardern backed her minister. Having said that, uh, the minister has apologised to me uh, for the lack of transparency from the very beginning around the fact that the meeting occurred. And then defended her in the debating chamber. So to be clear, was funding and was RNZ Plus discussed at the meeting? Uh, Mr Speaker, as I've said, uh, the issues she discussed were already in the public domain. To add another twist, RNZ bosses are now set to come back here to Parliament to set the record straight. And that could happen as early as tomorrow. Carol Hirschfeld wouldn't comment today, but her former CEO and chairman may have to soon. So it was an interesting story, this one, because it was kind of in two parts. You had a very high-profile, well-loved broadcaster in Carol Hirschfeld and the mistakes that she made. She went and had this meeting when she wasn't supposed to. It was against protocol. And she then misled her bosses about that and repeatedly said, look, it was just a chance encounter. I was at the gym, went for breakfast, bumped into her, as you do in Wellington. In Wellington. That wasn't correct. It was prearranged. It was in the minister's diary. Oh, fashion, little fashion emergency to start. I'll just put my earring back on. Sorry about that. Um, obviously, it's too much, too many vigorous too much hand excitement. movements. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and then, of course, there was the other aspect of it, which was clear current. Now, if the minister right from the beginning had said, Yes, I had this meeting. Yes, it took place. Um, it was an official meeting. Da 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 da. I feel like it it might have been a little bit different, but yep. it was sloppy. And when she was initially asked about it, she she said no, I haven't. Then it turned out in the diary it was said Astoria, the name of the cafe, C H for Carol Hirschfeld. So it raised questions of whether she was trying to hide it and to and to be secretive about it and it just almost spiralled yeah for the it's, it's just minister. very messy and what's interesting with this is um when this all came out it was, you know there was the written question asked of of Claire Curran about her meetings uh, and and this was a tactic national took on at the end of last year was to ask hundreds of questions of ministers about things and they ministers were still learning what they were doing their staff were still figuring it all out so cool. you have to think that some staff member saw this didn't think the meeting was important did Claire Curran check what went out as the answers to written questions properly you don't know what was going on it was sloppy however whatever happened it was sloppy and it just and gives the perception that she's trying She's trying to hide it. Yeah. And that's and, and also from Carol Hirschfeld's point of view, it was almost like she was trying to protect the minister because once the minister had said that this meeting hadn't happened, Carol had to stand by that. And then she's the one who's ended up almost being hung out to dry over it. I actually think it might have also been the opposite in a way that because Carol had said so publicly um, that when the bosses at, at Radio New Zealand came out and said, oh, look, we, it was a set, it was a um, just a chance encounter. That was when Claire Curran said, "Oh well, I am going to get myself in trouble yeah. here if I if I yeah." That's say what it. I mean. So Claire Curran oh, right. had to come okay. out and come free, yeah. come clean, clean and say, "Hey, this has happened." Yeah. And then Carol was the one who was caught out because she'd essentially yeah. lied. It's just to so her messy. Bosses. It's so it's messy very messy. And for you know Carol Hirschfeld particularly, you know, well, the, both of them should have known better. No. But I just think you just have to raise the question, though. Carol Hirschfeld is obviously a very well-respected, yeah. well-liked 
um, intelligent you senior know. manager. Yeah. And it just makes you wonder why she chose to repeatedly say that and, uh, you know, oh, to be a fly on the wall yeah. during Internal politics going on at Radio New Zealand at yeah, the Yeah, but there's, just, I think yeah. uh, quite a few people have said there must be more elements to the story, some of which we may not no, ever find yeah. out about. And I think Claire Curran probably is quite lucky to have, uh, hung on to her job. I think she's lucky that she once, uh, at whatever point, they realised that she had misled the house, that she came clean within that 24 hours and said it. So that when it blew up this week, Jacinda Ardern could come out and say, hey, well, she did correct the record at the time. Because if that hadn't happened, if this had come out and the record hadn't been corrected earlier, it would have been, I think, Lee Curran would be gone. And I think if anything more comes out... She'll be in trouble. She she's going to hold on for now. It was pretty clear that the prime minister was standing yeah, by absolutely. her. They came yeah. out um, across the from the beehive into the debating chamber across the bridge there um, together. Um, and I think if you were trying to let your minister hang themselves and let them take the fall, I'm not sure if she would have she done would that. Not, so. no. And I think as as we saw them walking towards us, the thought is as always, having done this once or twice, is the minister gone? Is she quitting? Is that why she's there? But then we saw the smiles on their faces, so we thought, okay, well, she's, <laughs> she's staying. <laughs> You've got about 30 seconds as you watch them walking towards you. You're like, to read body is it, what's happening? Is she gone? Is she gone? Is she gone? Should I be, like, ringing in the newsroom straight away? Or what's, what's going on here? And then yeah. you sort of see the looks on their face. You go, okay, she's staying. Yeah. So another story we looked at earlier in the week as well was this Jenny Marcroft, March, Mark Mitchell story. Have a look at the track now. Rodney MP Mark Mitchell's been calling for government funding to restore this river in Walkworth. The National MP and former Defence Minister has also been very vocal about the current Defence Minister and New Zealand First MP Ron Mark using the Defence Force for travel. Over the weekend, Mark Mitchell says he arranged to meet first-term New Zealand First MP Jenny Marcroft at the Orewa Surf Club because she had a message for him. I said, Jenny, has a minister sent you? And her answer was, yes. He says the message was that the government was looking at funding the project out of its billion-dollar provincial growth fund. Part of the conditions on me, on them doing that, uh, was the fact they didn't want me involved uh, or supporting the project at all. Uh, they said that the, she said that they were still quite unhappy about uh, the way that I dealt with Ron Mark. National says it was a threat. I was completely taken, I was shocked, I mean, you know, we live in New Zealand, not Zimbabwe, and this is rotten politics, this is about as rotten as you can get it. An hour after the conversation, the National MP says he got this text. On reflection, I have considered the substance of our conversation to be incorrect, and would therefore ask that you kindly disregard it. The Prime Minister hasn't been briefed, but says the process to get funding is rigorous. I would expect any project, regardless of who was advocating for it um, or for uh, or who was supporting it, to go through that rigorous process. Is it important that they are not vocal against the government if they're wanting money for these funds? No. Is that a prerequisite? No, of course not. I spoke to New Zealand First MP Jenny Marcroft this afternoon. When I put the story to her, she said she'd call back in a few minutes and didn't. In the last half an hour, party leader Winston Peters says there was no instruction from any of his ministers to talk to Mr Mitchell. He says the conversation had got out of hand and he told Jenny Marcroft to apologise. So this is an odd story and I think in some ways Jenny Marcroft is probably quite lucky that the um, Radio New Zealand story and the Russia story broke this week because everyone's been slightly distracted and busy with, with 
that and, and she's managed to avoid us to a um, we haven't had a chance to ask her questions, really. Yeah, it's it's Very one of those. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a strange story, and it just it, you wonder. So there's either there's two scenarios: either she off her own bat got the wrong end of the stick from someone and went to Mark Mitchell and said that. But you think as a first term MP, you'd be nervous and cautious about doing things like that. The alternative is that a minister gave her the instruction and then um, obviously realised how big the implications were and backpedal, backpedal, backpedal. But they then did give the Prime Minister assurances, all of the New Zealand First Ministers. Ministers. So it's a really, it's one of those murky situations. And it would be a strange thing, because if you think of the possible ministers who who could do this, you're talking Winston Peters, Shane Jones, Ron Mark, or Tracy Martin. And all of them should know better. And I think we spoke to them all, you know, to find out where this had come from. And Shane Jones said, well, he hadn't even spoken to Jenny Markroft that weekend or whatever. But... But you, it would be a strange thing for them to do to tell her to do, and yeah. we have to take their word at it. But it's yeah. very. But then, why would she get the idea in her head? Yeah, and you just wonder if it was a a joking conversation yeah. or a comment or a text came that came out of context. I don't know, but I mean, you wouldn't say that to a normal member of the public, let alone a member of the opposition. And Mark Mitchell was really clear. He said, "Look, you get that minister who sent you to call me in two hours." Otherwise, I'm going public. So it's not even like yeah. they they didn't know that he was going to escalate, escalate it. Um, just a and it's you know it's the last thing Shane Jones needs with that provincial growth fund because this is his baby. He's really determined to make it work to get those projects up and running. You know his his ministerial career is is going to be defined by this if this fund works and he said that himself the last thing he wants is something like this to be seen because local MPs will be coming to him every day now you'd expect if you local MPs doing their job right in the provincial areas they should be coming to Shane Jones with a whole lot of projects mm. he's got cash to hand out all over the place he's so, going to have lots of friends and so, and so if you're them they should all be looking at their projects and working with their communities and coming to him and he cannot be seen to be playing favourites with MPs over this and yeah. he, he needs to hold himself and the Prime Minister was very adamant yes. that there will be absolutely no favour given to somebody from the left, for yep. example. So um, I guess at least we got that we got on that, record yeah. from the story. And the well. interesting thing with that story, um, of course, is that Mahurangi is actually in the Auckland Super City and the project doesn't actually qualify for the funds anyway. <laughs> Never mind. So, <laughs> but don't let that get in the way of a good political But people, scandal. if you live as, as someone who's from up, up there, uh, if you live up there, I think there's still a lot of uh, animosity about the idea that you are in the Super City. It depends yeah. if it suits you or not. They won't not. want to connect but with But they the probably Auckland want to be seen as being a provincial area and that their project should come under that fund. Yeah. So Shane Jones was even very confused about what that project did. I thought it was like a river restoration Yeah. Run. Yeah, it is. And he thought it was something to do with oysters, so I'm not sure he knows anything about it. But um, some I'm sure he will soon. I'm sure he'll have looked <laughs> yeah, I'm into sure it. Mark Mitchell might be picking up the phone and making <laughs> yeah. sure he's got all the details. As he should be. That's the job of a local MP. So mm. anyway, that um, it, that that's one of those stories that may hang around for a while and see where it goes. Yeah, as yeah. Well, and I think you're of, right. I think if the Radio New Zealand thing hadn't popped up, it might have played out in a different a way. We'll see. Yeah. Um, another issue this week, and this is something I've, I've been looking at for a while, is uh, around students. And we all know that uh, there's a huge issue around um, how some student, international students are exploited coming to New Zealand and issues around the visas and, and what happens with all that migrant exploitation stuff. And NZQA have really started cracking down on some of these rogue institutions. Take a look at my track from earlier in the week. 
100 international students studied business in this Auckland temple, but the International College of New Zealand and Director Chirag Solanke now face criminal charges laid by the New Zealand Qualifications Authority. We monitored their activities last year and we found four of their programmes did not meet standards and there were cases of um, plagiarism and work that was being marked that should have been failed. NZQA alleges that up to 95% of students were wrongly given pass marks on assessments. Once discovered, NZQA cancelled its registration and are now taking the rare step of prosecuting. The rules are very clear, they are well known and in cases where providers don't meet those requirements we'll take firm action. I wouldn't be surprised if we um, started to see more um, in the future. The college no longer has students and Mr Solanke didn't respond to requests for comment. Student representatives are welcoming the prosecution. Our international students are paying thousands of dollars, probably three times more than domestic students for tuition fees um, to get a New Zealand education. Um, the least they can expect is to get a quality education from these providers. The students will get refunds and other assistance. There may be some credits that can be um, used um, for a similar program at another institution. But some students are vulnerable and might need more help, including with visas. They're virtually studying again if they're moving to a new institution, so the harm has already been done. In the past two years, eight tertiary education providers have had their registration cancelled by NCQA. The authority has also increased its monitoring and spot checks, particularly of those seen as offering low-value courses. NZQA are cracking down on dodgy behaviour in the PTE sector. This is a warning signal to all of those providers that they need to be beyond reproach. Poor quality provision is unacceptable. It won't be um, tolerated. Leaving no doubt that other providers are now on notice. So I guess laying charges is a big move. They, they really are taking it seriously when they look at some of these low-value providers. And, and the hope is, from, from everyone involved, that it will send a message to some of those road providers to get their act together. Because big picture, it's a huge industry Massive. and moneymaker for New Zealand and attracting foreign students who want to come here and some of them stay here and work here and bring their families here and things like that. That's big money for New Zealand. And, and cracking down on in a big public way like they did here that's that's got to be good for our reputation and that's because that's one of the issues is how how we're perceived overseas these students go home um, and many of them you know I have have been in contact with some of them this week and many of the students and most of them don't want to talk publicly because they're too scared because they want to be able to be transferred to another provider they possibly have jobs they they're worried about their visas and so forth they're in very vulnerable positions and this is how they get taken advantage of as well and they come here they don't know they see most of a lot of these um smaller providers have names that are called things like this one is you know international academy of new zealand they've got nice names they've got nice websites they look appealing to people and and if you're coming from india you don't know any different about about whether this is a good institution and it's our reputation too and so and so you just say oh it says new zealand that's great and they Mm. come in and what ncqa are doing i think is interesting is they say one of the ways they're targeting them is looking at the low value courses so if the fees are relatively cheap they go okay wait a minute why are these cheap and they've started doing they're going at the past couple of years they've basically changed their monitoring they're going in now and doing stings essentially and saying okay give me all your, your work you've passed for that period and that's how in this case they noticed that up to 95% in one of these courses they had marked people as passed when they should have failed and so they've gone in and just checked the book work and said no 
this is not good. Do you enough. think we'll see more prosecutions? I think I think so. There's another one um, waiting in the wings, a much bigger case as well. Uh, and I think um, NZQA is, is taking this seriously now. There was a lot of pressure put on them over this, and I think they've realised one, they need to front up and talk about it, and two, they do need to be seen to be doing something. The minister made it clear that's what they want to do. I think everyone agrees that's what needs to happen. It's, it is about our reputation and also about these students. You know, um, NZQA says they provide them with support afterwards because, of course, they've paid thousands of dollars. And they then get left, they, their visas are at risk, their whole opportunities are at risk, and, and that's part of the problem. So I th- it's one of those issues that I think there's still a lot more work to be done on. Because while there's about 450 tertiary education providers in the international sector, um, but uh, and that number has decreased, but the number of students is still increasing. So as the pressure goes on them to get students in and the competition increases, this will keep on happening. So it feels when we say it like that, it feels like we've packed in quite a lot in the four days yeah. short. And also one little thing that happened this week that we did tiny, talk about tiny, but Stephen Joyce, of course, retired, and he, um, I got the chance to go up to his valedictory speech and um, to the event with the speeches afterwards, and it's a bit of an end of an era mm. because um, he, John Key and Bill English were both there, um, and they all talked about. I guess that trio and that era yeah. of the National Party and whatever you think of them, um, they were very powerful at the time and, and they were very good mates. You could hear from their speeches and the way they were talking um, and um, I think um, the National Party will miss them. There's no doubt different. he was a big player, especially around campaigning yes. and um, is this an unkind term? I'm not sure, but held a lot of the puppet strings for a yes, lot of people in the party. And they made that very clear. And um, yeah. I, I mean, I was disappointed that there were no Eminem lyrics in his valedictory speech. <laughs> That's what I was expecting. Um, you know, he, or even know, a little dance. It's just mode. a little, you know, you know a little bit. Yeah. Just something. And I did tell him that. And then he said, I'm sorry, Katie, I did think of you of that. <laughs> I, I, I knew you'd be wanting that. <laughs> uh, but um, but uh, he, I think he said one moment. He'd had a little, little bit of a. You know, but um, yeah, uh, for the national party, it, it it is going to be different for them. If yeah. if he can resist the lure of not being involved in campaigns, you have to wonder. We've got a North Coast by election coming up. Yeah, whether he can, whether they will actually fingers and pies yeah. and old habits die hard. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah, he's a big loss, and I think they're going to have to regroup and reorganise. Um, and that's up to Simon Bridges, I guess. That's a new part of yeah. his lead- leadership, creating his team yeah um and doing that and so. I think and they've learned a lot from those those three you know John Key's speech was interesting he talked a lot about how he would uh perhaps at times just make up policy on the spot and Bill English and Stephen Joyce would have to run around and uh actually make it happen after that yeah. which CEO probably comes as style. no surprise <laughs> to those of us who were journalists trying to ask him questions about the policy at the time mm. um anyway that, I, that's yeah end yeah. of an era end of an era yeah yeah. Well, thanks so much for joining us. It's been really great chatting with you guys. The podcast Inside Parliament is available every Thursday evening on the One News Facebook page, and you can also catch us on your favourite podcast app.